Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Paul Gray here. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Grace to All with Paul Gray. I'm often excited with the things that I have to share with you. I guess I probably shouldn't share anything if I wasn't excited about it, but boy, I am really excited today. This is something that I've just been learning recently, primarily learning it from my friend Malcolm Smith, who I encourage you to go online and check out Malcolm Smith webinars on YouTube. They're just wonderful. So what I'm gonna I'm gonna give full credit to him, what sharing with you, I've been learning from him recently. So I want to start out by asking you a question. What does the word love mean to you? I know that you've heard me and other people say there are all kinds of definitions of love. And unfortunately, in the English language, we use that one word for all kinds of things like I love ice cream. I love my wife. You know, obviously, there are different kinds of that. Well, the Bible was written when the New Testament was written. There were four different words that appear in Scripture, each of which has a different meaning. For example, they would use a different word saying, I love ice cream, if they had it then, than they would say, I love God, for example. I'm just going to talk about two of them today. That Actually, one, only one was used in the New Testament. The other was used by people during that time, but not in the New Testament. But unfortunately, something happened. So I'm, I'm going to show you what happened. All right. It's extremely important that we know the New Testament writers' background, their culture, and who they were writing to. And when the New Testament was written, within a few years after Jesus came and did his finished work, there was one primary word that was used to talk about God and what God was like. There was another word that religion used all other religions used, and it had a completely different meaning. All the New Testament writers and everybody in their society prior to Jesus coming and learning from him, their whole concept was of God was based on the Greek word eros, E-R-O-S, eros love. Today, that's morphed into uh, English, where that's where we get our word erotic from. That ought to tell you something. So all religion, up until Jesus came, and then even after that, the, the Christian religion, had the understanding that God has eros love. Now, I, when I say religion, and I say the Christian religion, I'm talking as opposed to what the early church was like, 
and opposed to spirituality. Spirituality is knowing and experiencing oneness with the Trinity and knowing who we are and who all other people are. Jesus is not into religion. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He didn't come to fix the Jewish religion. Religion is any effort on humans' part to try to gain and maintain a right relationship with God. See, Jesus finished that. He he showed us, in fact, that we do have a completely right relationship with God, and we can't ever lose that. So it's not only redundant, it's silly, and it's totally unproductive, really unproductive, to try to gain what we already have. Now, this word Greek eros, which is what people thought God's love was like until Jesus came along, it's contractual. By that, it means you're attracted to someone because they have something that makes you feel good and look good. That's where we get erotic from. You're attracted to things that are attractive. It can be physical beauty. Uh, It can be that somebody's infatuated with you. Uh, It can be that they have status or connections or money or property, the sex that, you know, they're good looking, somebody who serves you, somebody who meets your needs. That kind of love is contractual. And what I mean by that is as long as the other person provides me with what I desire, well, I love them. I'll be with you. I'll keep you around. I'll provide for you. I'll compensate you. I'll protect you. My wife and I went to a friend's wedding some years ago. It wasn't a a conventional type wedding. And the couple wrote their own vows and they said, we will stay together as long as we both shall love. And I thought at the time, hmm, I wonder how long your love will last. And I wonder what it will take to uh, make you think you don't love anymore. See, that kind of love, Eros love says, when you no longer meet my needs, when you no longer live up to my expectations, when you no longer benefit me the way I want you to, I'll end the contract and I'll find somebody else. Now, again, in the, in the Old Testament times, up until Jesus came, the only type of love people knew was Eros, E-R-O-S. Agape wasn't used until Jesus came. In Bible times, most marriages were contracts. They were arranged by the parents, primarily for the benefits of the parents. The father of the bride would provide a dowry, uh, depending on how much his resources were, something of great benefit to the husband to convince him to marry his daughter. And then the dad would let him go. So her husband then would take care of her, thus relieving the dad of the financial responsibility. The father, the groom, then would have his son use that benefit for the family. And in that day and age, most families lived together, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, you know, children, uh, if not in the same house, at least on the same property, they would farm together or that type of thing. So that dowry would benefit the whole family. Many times in those days, the bride and groom never even met until the wedding feast. Women were considered chattel, C-H-A-T-T-E-L, which was property that could be bought and sold or traded. One of the most graphic illustrations of this was when King Saul promised his daughter 
to whoever would win a certain battle in a very graphic way. I'm not going to go into it here. Well, David did that. And he got to marry the king's daughter with all the perks of royalty. It was contractual. It's interesting. After that, when David fell out of favor with King Saul, Saul gave his daughter to somebody else. That's the kind of a contractual thing it is. In that culture, a husband could end the marriage contract whenever he wanted to for whatever reason he came up with. Literally, that, that's what the law was. <laughs> Burn the toast one too many times. Here's your certificate of divorce. You're toast. You're out of here. And the woman then was considered damaged goods. And for the most part, her parents wouldn't take care of her anymore. So she was on her own. That's eros. That's contract. The relationship is based on one person providing the other with something that makes them feel good and look good. Again, they're attracted to something, to things that are attractive. It can be physical beauty, intelligence, status, connections, accomplishments, money, property, sex, somebody who serves you, meets your needs, whatever. And men had all the rights then. Many men had more than one wife, so they could have all their various needs met by someone. And then when a wife no longer provided those things for whatever reason, it's over. They're disowned, sent away, punished, separated. Now, not always, but many times, and it certainly was legal to do that. That's why I believe scripture says God hated divorce in Bible times. He didn't hate divorced people. He doesn't hate divorced people now. <laughs> he hated the system that allowed a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce. All right. That was the concept of love that people had until Jesus came. Eros love. <clears throat> and that is based on fear. That kind of love is based on fear. You give me what I want, when I want it, how I want it, and keep on doing that or else. The result of that kind of fear is you walk around on eggshells. Fear was the primary kind of love that people knew. And that's what people thought God was like. That's what the whole Jewish religion thought God was like. That's certainly what people in other religions of the sun God or the moon God or whatever. And that's what they, whatever they thought God's love was, it was Eros love. Now we're going to contra contrast that. And this, this is, here's why this is so important. It affects how you read scripture. It affects how you listen to Bible teachers. It affects what you talk about when you go to a, a Bible study or listen to somebody, watch somebody on TV or whatever. It affects your entire concept of God, which affects everything else. All right. The Greek word that Jesus, in effect, instituted for love was a different word than eros. It's the word agape. A-G-A-P-E. Anytime in the New Testament you see scripture talking about God's love, it's agape. It's interesting. In the Old Testament, as my friend Malcolm Smith teaches, <clears throat> the whole book, the, the little short book of Hosea, is a picture of God's agape love. Read it sometime and see what God's love is really like. 
Jesus is agape. Jesus' best friend, John, who knew he's called the love disciple, he wrote, God is agape. And he wrote that specifically to contrast with any other type of thought of love that people thought God was, any kind of eros love. No, no. He said, Jesus is agape. Jesus is agape. The Father's agape. Holy Spirit's agape. Now, I'm going to I'm not going to elaborate on this today, but this is something again I'd like you to ponder this week and all the time. Agape is heaven. Heaven is agape. Agape is a place where there's no sin, no evil, no tears. There's only self-giving mutual love between each other, not caring who gets the credit. There's no contract with agape. It's a covenant. We say today that marriages are a covenant, but we actually don't honor that. They end up being a contract. A covenant is one way. It says, I will love you. I will serve you. I will take care of you no matter what you do for better or worse, for sickness or health. Jesus and Papa and Grace actually made a covenant between themselves not a covenant with people. We had nothing to do with it. They made a covenant between themselves that said they will love us no matter what. And the book of Hebrews explains that whole covenant concept. All right. Agape, that love has no conditions. Anytime you read New Testament scripture, it talks about God's love. Agape has no conditions, period. No limits, period. No exclusions, period. No prenups, period. No parameters, no qualifications. Agape love keeps no record of wrongs. It never fails. It keeps no record of your past failures, and it never ends. Now, the New Testament writers only use the word agape to talk about God's love. They, the word eros is not in the Greek in the New Testament. And they did that specifically, I understand now, because they were their whole point, and this is the whole point why Jesus came, is to show us what the Father is like. The whole point of the New Testament writers was to show us God is agape love, which is totally different than the concept of love that people had in the uh, in the Hebrew religion, the Jewish religion, or any other religion. So they they just hammered that home, especially Paul and John, the apostle of love. All right. Agape is heaven. Heaven is agape. It's one way. It's from God to us. No conditions, never failing, never ending, all-inclusive, period. Now, once we have experienced that and we know agape, then and only then we can agape ourselves, love ourselves without conditions, not keep record of wrongs and that type of thing, and other people. So here, Malcolm Smith, here's another part of what he's been teaching so well. Religion, including the Christian religion, is totally threatened by agape because religion is based on fear. 
religion claiming to speak for God says, all right, you give me what I want, when I want it, how I want it, and keep on doing it, or else, or else I'll burn you forever in hell. The result of that fear is you walk on eggshells, never knowing if you've done enough or if God is still pleased with you. Or you just, you can't, if you don't want to go there and can't possibly go there, you just, you tune it out and you bury it somewhere. And of course, you have no relationship with God because you're afraid of it. Jesus was the first person ever to teach and show agape love and to show that it was completely different than what religion thought was God's kind of conditional love. Jesus himself said, this is the first time that we see in the, in the book of, in the gospel of, of John, the, the word agape. Jesus said, God so agaped, God so loved, God so agaped the entire cosmos, everyone and everything, that he sent himself, Jesus, so that no one would perish, but everybody would have the life of the ages, which is oneness, union with God. Well, religion would have none of that. So they killed him. See that <laughs> when you do away with fear in religion, you do away with the offering, a forced offering. Now, people still uh, can and do give to support religious efforts or spiritual efforts. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it's based on fear, there's a whole lot wrong with that. So, they wanted Jesus out of the way. They didn't want any of that. So they just killed him. Later on in the dark ages, religion in the 900s, religious leaders literally took agape out of their Greek manuscripts and they replaced it with the word eros because they didn't want people to think God was that good. They wanted to keep people in fear and they knew what they were doing. Well, later on, other leaders reversed that, but the damage was done. Most of organized religion, most of the church, not all, but most of it, has taught a mixed message through the years, a mixed message of love. They said, well, yeah, God is agape, but he's also eros. God is unconditional love, but God has these conditions like eros. <laughs> and if you fail to please him, fail to be a good Christian, fail to serve him, fail to provide for him, fail to be a benefit to him, fail to worship him, he will stop loving you and send you away and separate you from him and withhold affection and favor and love and ultimately punish you. First church that I was on staff in, the, the denomination believed this, and I was just, I didn't, wasn't aware of it. I was just... Uh, I was so turned off when I heard this. There was a guy in the church who was uh, the local church who was a wonderful guy. Just he was like a saint, and he was a great businessman. Every he, he was a building contractor, and everything he touched turned to gold. I mean, he 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 was very successful. Well, I, I'm not going to go into all the details here, but some of the leaders at the church got sideways with him over a building project. And, and this man was so hurt, he quit coming to church for a few weeks. And I was in a staff meeting and a pastor said, I'm so concerned about his soul, about his eternity, because he's not coming to church. And I believe God will hold that against him and he'll lose his salvation and he'll die and go to hell. 
And I thought at the time, boy, that's just, I had a word for it that I won't use right now, but I'm going to use it a little bit later on. <clears throat> that's that's what religion believes. I, I, I know it. I was right there. So, you know, I just want to give you a warning. That kind of mixture, mixing agape and eros, is extremely dangerous to your spiritual and relational health. Religion just keeps you in fear about whether or not you're going to go to, to heaven or go to hell. All right. John, Jesus' closest friend, who's called the apostle of agape, the apostle of love, was just so clear when he wrote in 1 John 4 that God is love, pure love, perfect love. He said that cast out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So every time you see anything about God's love in the New Testament, you need to know there's no fear. There can't be any fear attached to that. There, there cannot be a thinking that, well, yes, God is love, but no, that, that's, that's just not there with agape. And John intentionally used that word, I know, because he was contrasting it with religion's fear-based concept of eros love. Jesus, of course, demonstrated agape big time at the cross and with the rest of his life. Religion doesn't know agape. It only knows eros. And it teaches, unfortunately, that agape really means eros. Anytime you hear someone say, well, God is love, but he's also something that's not loving. And they say, well, his ways are higher than ours. No, that's a mixed message. They don't know agape. Now, folks, this is really, this is really huge. I can't, I don't know how to get it across any plan. This is so huge. We need to be aware of when we read scripture or listen to religious teachers or other books or things, whenever we think about God's love, we need to know it's agape with absolutely no conditions that never fails and never ends and includes everyone for all time. Religion is said different. If you repeat a lie long enough, people start to believe it's true. Then when they're confronted with the truth, I found this, religion people, religious people will get angry at you. I've had them say to me, no, no, God's not that good. You're making him out to be better than he is. Well, no. Religion, Christian, Protestant, Catholic, Muslim, all religions believe their God has eros love, is fickle, and has to be appeased or else. The Apostle Paul called that another gospel, another Jesus. Now, I'm going to finish up there today with this message. And on my next message that I do, I'm going to carry on with that and talk about, I'm going to use another word that my friend Paul Young uses for what that kind of religion actually is. So I'm going to leave you with the message today. Agape is heaven. Heaven is agape. And Anytime you see something about God's love in Scripture, know that it's agape. It's one way, it's unconditional, it never fails, and it's forever. That's so helpful to me, and I hope it is to you. Thanks for being with me on Grace to All with Paul Gray. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, 
where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.